Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, this is a message from the beginning and ending, the first and final one, the once dead and then come alive. I know that bad people are hurting you very much. I can see your pain and poverty, constant pain, dire poverty. But I also see that you are truly rich. I hear the lie in the claims of those who pretend to be good Jews. I know that they say bad things about you. And I know that these things are not true. So they are not really my people who obey me. They, in fact, belong to Satan's crowd. I know that trouble will soon come to you, but do not be afraid. Listen, stay on guard. The devil is about to throw you in jail for a time of testing. 10 days. He wants to see whether you will continue to believe in me. It won't last forever. Don't quit, even if it costs you your life. Then you will win against the devil. I will give you a gift as they give a crown to the winner of a race. I will cause you to live with me always. God's spirit is speaking to you in the churches. You should understand what the spirit is saying to you. You have ears. So listen carefully. The second death will not hurt anyone who wins against Satan. Amen. This is Josie Sacco, everybody. One of our, our newer uh, attendees. And uh, you should know that as your pastor, I, I'm accountable. I'm accountable first and foremost to God who will one day asked me to give an account about how I stewarded the responsibility that you've entrusted me with. I'm accountable to this broader family of churches called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and they can fire me if, you know, if they see areas of heresy or, or uh, sin in my life. Most immediately, I'm accountable to uh, this board of elders who has a, uh, a spiritual but also a legal and fiduciary responsibility to hold me to certain standards. And it, it can be weird at times because sometimes I'm their pastor and spiritual leader, and sometimes I'm sort of um, chief among equals, and you know, where they'll, they'll uh, defer to me or, or, or hold my opinion with some greater weight. There are other times where I am in submission to them as my overseers. Uh, just as a side note, to anyone uh, listening or, or 
watching today who is looking for a church or in a church that they're not certain about, let me just give you advice. If, if it seems like the senior pastor doesn't have any accountability, doesn't have any overseers or a board of elders perhaps, and you get the sense maybe that the, the people in his life are just yes men who, uh, who he sort of intimidates and bullies, um, I would suggest you get out of Dodge ASAP. Okay, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Uh, you gotta go. This is, that's a situation that is gonna blow up. Maybe not this month, maybe not this year, but eventually, and it will be painful. And so I say all that to tell you that you'll be glad to know that I too receive a work evaluation or, or an employee review or from those that I'm accountable to. And part of it, uh, that I just received was a bit of a self-evaluation. You know, how do I think things have gone in the past couple of years? And uh, what are the things that you're proud of, the things that you're not so proud of? And as I thought about that, it occurred to me, um, we don't really know for certain what sort of character will emerge when put to the test. Uh, we don't know how our faith will uh, emerge from the death of a loved one, say, or, or, or in the face of some tragedy. You know, the world has kind of cheered on the bravery of President Zelensky these days and uh, you, that iconic moment where he rejects safe passage out of the Ukraine and he tells the world, you know, I don't need, uh, I don't need a ride out of here. I need weapons. And it's, it's inspiring. And I'd like to think I'd be that kind of president but you just don't know maybe until crisis happens. So in my own personal reflection, I was kind of pleased that when a global pandemic hit, uh, I found myself pivoting quickly, you know, remaining calm and focused. And it's good to learn those things about yourself. I only hope that there will be perseverance and integrity and faithfulness when other challenges and tragedies come along. Uh, we say crisis builds character. Maybe, but it always reveals character, doesn't it? For good or, or for bad. What will be revealed in you when the pressure comes, when the vice tightens on your faith? Uh, Jesus dictates this second letter to a church in Smyrna, and this message just might best articulate why it can be so hard for a follower of Jesus to remain faithful, uh, why it's so hard to stay in love. So I'd really encourage you to listen to the first two messages of this series to help you kind of track with, with what comes after it. It'll help give you a little context to the whole book of Revelation, you know, this weird writing style, uh, this writer or transcriber of the vision, John, the structure of these letters that they take, it'll just help. And, and they're available on, uh, on uh, your favorite podcast uh, platforms and on our website. And uh, so I, I do want to tell you a bit about this place, Smyrna, because sometimes context really is everything. <clears throat> Some say <clears throat> Smyrna is the loveliest of these seven churches that we're studying. Smyrna was called uh, the crown of Asia 
or the flower of Asia. It, it was the birthplace of great writers like, like Homer. Uh, insert your own Simpsons joke here, okay? Smyrna still exists today, but now we call it uh, Izmir, which is the third largest city in Turkey. There's a little picture of what it looks like today. Now, I love how Jesus introduces himself to, to the city at the beginning of this letter. The first and last who was dead and was come to life. That's a huge claim to make. Jesus is actually echoing the words of, of God spoken by the prophet Isaiah. I, the Lord, the first and the last, I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Thus says the Lord, I am the first, I am the last. Besides me there is no God. So in saying that he is the first and he is the last, Jesus is telling disciples in Smyrna, and he's telling you and me that our lives are not at the mercy of the decisions of Caesar or Herod or the whims of Rome. Our destinies are not defined by what Trudeau or Biden or Putin or the Kardashians do, okay? Our lives are in the hands of him, the first and the last, whatever else happens in history, in politics, in the Ukraine, in the, in the economy, in COVID, Jesus is there at the first, and he will be there in the last, and Jesus is right here with us in the middle. Now, why? Why does Jesus introduce himself in this very specific way to the people of Smyrna? He says, the first and the last who was dead and was come to life, I think it's Jesus signaling that he knows Smyrna, okay? He knows what the people are going through. Smyrna uh, rivaled Ephesus as the, as the first city of Asia. In fact, that's what Smyrna had stamped on their coins, the first city of Asia in size and beauty, it said. Uh, it's like, you know, driving through Edmonton uh, on their signs. The city of champions. At one point, at one point, not for a while. But Smyrna loved the word first, first city. And they'd actually gone through a number of these sort of phoenix rising from the ashes moments in their history. It, it, it had been totally destroyed in 580 BC and then totally rebuilt in 290 BC. And they were kind of proud of their resurrection. And Jesus starts by saying, I know. He says it to all seven churches. He's saying it to Nat today. I know where you're at. Thank you, Paul. I know your challenges. I know your gifting. Uh, remember, I'm right here in the middle of it with you. But to Smyrna, he says, I know your tribulation or I know your affliction. Uh, you're going to hear this word. Uh, you'll be sick of this word. It's a Greek word here. It's thlipsis. I don't have a speech impediment. It's thlipsis. Uh, say that with me, would you? Thlipsis. All right. You, uh, what, what does it mean? It's a very strong word. It means uh, literally pressure or more specifically crushing 
pressure. It would have evoked images back in the day of, of someone dying with a great boulder on them. Philipsis, crushing pressure. And it turns out that the disciples of Smyrna were living out their faith under Philipsis, under crushing pressure. And imagine them you know, gathering together to hear this letter read aloud. And when the words are said, I know the pressure you're under, you know, Jesus sees them. Jesus sees us. He, he knows where we're at. He knows what we're experiencing. And he relates because no one understands personal pressure, even to a greater degree, more than Jesus himself. He, he was there with them in the midst of their crushing pressure that the church was facing. And what does the God who can relate to them in every way say to them? Well, I know what I would have said to them. Uh, I would have said something like, I know your pressure and I'm going to fix it, guys. Y'all shouldn't have to face these hard times anymore. So I'm just, I'm going to snap my fingers and bibbity bobbity boop fixed. That's what I would have said. Be faithful to me and you will be insulated from mean people. That's what I wish he had said. Instead, this is what Jesus does say. I know your pressure. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Be faithful even unto death. Jesus, are you saying, yeah, yeah, things are going to get worse before they get better. Some of y'all are going to go to jail. Some of you are going to die. But I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you, hang on to me. Now, this is the variation of a question that's been asked since uh, the beginning of time, a question that you have asked at some point. When, when hard times come. Lord, why not lift the pressure? Why not promise to protect us against the tribulation? Or, or okay, let me ask it uh, another question. What did the Christians of Smyrna do to bring about this crushing pressure? Had they displeased the Lord? Had they done something wrong? No, and that's precisely the point. In fact, you may have noticed that the second letter is the only letter where there's no rebuke, no correction. Nowhere in it does Jesus say, but I have this against you, like he says in in the other letters. There's no call to repentance. There's no call to kind of take corrective action. Unlike the church in Ephesus, they they had not lost their first love. Unlike the Laodiceans, they were not lukewarm. Unlike Pergamon, they, they were not compromising to the culture around them. Smyrna was sold out to Jesus. And as a result, they were coming under flipsis, crushing pressure. What What gives? Let me, let me challenge us, challenge myself, because somewhere along the line, we've gotten this version of Christianity 
maybe especially in the West, that says, if I remain faithful, if I do the right things and, and, and give to the church and say my prayers and take my vitamins, I'll have a blessed life, a trouble-free life. But I want you to look at it this way. When light begins to shine into darkness, you know what the first tactic of darkness is to do? It's to extinguish the light. The lampstand of the church in Smyrna was, was shining brightly. And the darkness of that city, of the, of the seen and the unseen world, couldn't tolerate it. And this, the lampstand was feeling pressure. Paul was so right. You know, when a church is up to good things, they're going to feel pressure. And I don't want to make a, a blanket principle out of this because, you know, sometimes we feel pressure because we made careless, dumb, even sinful choices, right? It's called natural consequences. And sometimes people who are being, uh, you know, jerks for Jesus get pushback and they get criticism and they think they're being persecuted for the cause of Jesus. No, it turns out they're just jerks. And I see that all the time. But sometimes we are under pressure literally because we are making wise, godly decisions, because we are making advances for the kingdom of God. You know, Paul says, uh, sorry, Paul, not this, not this time. Uh, there's another Paul I'll tell you about. Uh, he says uh, in 2 Timothy, all who desire to live godly lives will be persecuted. Ooh. The disciples in Smyrna, they, like many churches around the world today, are experiencing tribulation because they were living godly lives, because they were seeking his kingdom first and his righteousness. And the city did not like it. I wonder, I wonder if a church should actually be at the center of causing, you know, what John Lewis called good trouble. Good trouble. Not a church that sets out to cause trouble for trouble's sake, but it's just sometimes in seeking to be a true, a faithful, uh, Christ-like church, it's going to make waves. It's going to brush up against cultural norms. It's going to find itself in some form of tribulation or another. Now, I, I think it's important to note that the word thlipsis <laughs> is never used in the New Testament to describe the normal obstacles and frustrations that we all experience in this broken world. The flat tire, uh, the, the job search, uh, even the health issues, though sometimes, sometimes... But the, the word is always used in connection with the coming of the kingdom of God. Okay, so put it another way, thlipsis is the pressure experienced as the kingdom of light comes against the kingdom of darkness. It's the sound of clashing kingdoms, right? It's, it's when the reign of justice 
clashes with the reign of injustice. It's when human pride is confronted by the call to repent. So, so do you, you start to understand why Jesus won't say, you know, I know your thlipsis and I'm here to erase it. Because to follow Jesus into the world is to inevitably experience pressure, thlipsis. The experience is a, is a class of, uh, clash of cultures. It's, this is good versus evil stuff, folks. This is unseen battle stuff. And notice when John begins Revelation in chapter 1, he says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. So to be in Jesus means to partake of the kingdom of God, which also means partaking of the tribulation, which the breakthrough of Jesus and his kingdom is going to produce. Like, don't get me wrong. To be in Jesus also means partaking in true joy and purpose and grace and authority and power and celebration. But as long as there's any resistance to the kingdom, to be in Jesus and participating in the advancement of his kingdom means thlipsis. It means being under pressure. I know your tribulation, Jesus writes. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. The heat's going to get turned up, he's saying. The vice is actually going to tighten. It's going to get worse before it gets better. To be a faithful disciple of Jesus in a city, especially in 2022, means to increasingly feel the pressure. Can you, can you feel the pressure mounting these days? Can you feel the values of the world increasingly at odds with the values of Jesus? Can you, can you feel the human rebellion, the drift into immorality, people who are more and more hostile towards the ways of Jesus? That's flipsis. That's a clash of kingdoms. Uh, maybe I'd talk to my rock kids. There's just a few in here, but uh, Yolanda, Leah, others, um, your age may know maybe more than any of us, what it means to live in Smyrna. What it, what, you know more than most of us what it means to feel the pressure to compromise. University student today, you are under tremendous thlipsis to conform to the image of the world. You, we need to remember you guys in prayer. It's harder for you today than, than certainly it was for me in high school. Parents in 2022 who are trying to raise their kids in a way that honors God, you are experiencing flipsis for sure. Business owner, as you try to do things with integrity and with kingdom principles, the more faithful you are to Jesus, the greater the resistance, the greater the pressure. And the pressure is both visible and invisible. In Smyrna's case, this city had a, had a fierce loyalty to all things Roman. They lived by this adage, 
Rome first in all things. And they, they even built a temple to Dia Roma. This is the goddess of Rome. Uh, they built a temple to Caesar Augustus. The city was a commercial for whatever made Rome great. So if your first allegiance lay elsewhere, uh, if, if you talked of a greater kingdom with a better king, you know, you were bound to feel pressure as an outsider. You'd be a traitor in that city. Here's another thing that was going on that's a little more, a little more nuanced, a little more subtle. There was this fierce hostility towards a segment of the, of the Jewish community. Let me explain. Under Roman law, the Jews were exempt from military service and from those sacrificial requirements we talked about. You know, they didn't have to go into the temple and take that little bit of incense and cast it in the altar and say, Caesar is Lord. Uh, it, it was a privilege that they held kind of tenuously, okay? It could have been revoked at a moment's notice. So now here are these Christian Jews who are also refusing to worship Caesar. And this makes the old school Jews nervous that they're going to ruin it for everybody. You've tracking with me so far? Yeah, okay. So, so some of the old school Jewish community, they started to demonstrate their loyalty to Rome by ratting out the Christian Jews who weren't worshiping Emperor Domitian. And it's why Jesus uses the word slander or blasphemy here in verse 9. And then he gets, he gets really politically incorrect. And he calls those little tattletales part of the synagogue of Satan. Those Jews who were essentially getting Christians jailed or killed were no longer worthy to be called part of the synagogue of the Lord. In fact, they were being directly used by the Lord's enemy. And I mean, that is pressure, right? From the culture from the Jews, from the Romans. It's coming at them from every angle. Now, what, in, what do you make of this reference in verse 9 to poverty? It says, I know your poverty. Smyrna was actually a wealthy city. No one in that city should have been poor. But the fact is, Christians were. Why? When you don't give in to the pressure to conform to the ways of the city, to the ways of the culture. Be prepared to be ostracized, okay? Their businesses would have been boycotted by both Romans and Jewish communities. Their shops would have been ransacked. They would have been denied employment, have property confiscated. Folks, this is actually going on today in places like China, uh, in in places like the UAE, Indonesia, sometimes in India. I know your pressure, Jesus says. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. And some would be thrown in jail as a way to try and, and coerce obedience to the emperor cult. Some would face the ultimate test, have a sword at their throat and told to renounce Jesus. So there were these very obvious, visible pressures. You got threatened political leaders. You got hostile religious leaders. But there's also these invisible pressures. Jesus says, 
the devil will throw some of you into prison in verse 10. Really? How did he get into the act here? Because what you would see with the naked eye back then is you would see Roman police maybe cheered on by, you know, the religious figures doing the dirty work. You'd see them persecuting Christians. You wouldn't see anything else. But remember, things are not as they seem or things are not only as they seem. There is a reality more than meets the eye. And Jesus is helping Smyrna, helping us wake up to this unseen reality. Behind these insecure politicians and priests was the power of evil, desperate to destroy Jesus. Okay, I have to keep reminding myself, my opposition is not flesh and blood. It's a spiritual opposition. People are not the enemy. But look, it's getting, I, I know it's getting less and less kosher um, to talk of a personal source of evil and kind of still be taken seriously in 2022. It's scoffed by some. It's disturbing to others. Sometimes I wish I could, you know, liquid paper those parts of the Bible out. But we can't because it's actually Jesus who talks the most about it. He keeps bringing up the subject the talk of, of Satan, of unseen evil forces. You can't really even understand Jesus' ministry if you don't understand the spiritual opposition that kept coming up against him. His whole ministry is one of, of fighting a battle against Satan and his works. And honestly, I don't even know how we understand our own human history without acknowledging Real evil, right? Demonic influence. How do you understand Hitler and Stalin and genocide without the presence of unseen true evil? How do you understand 215 unmarked graves of of children in Kamloops without that kind of evil? Here's what Ephesians says. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Church, behind this growing immorality, uh, the human trafficking, the child abuse, the opioid addiction, the, the moral depravity is the prince of darkness. And behind the escalating violence in the world today is is the prince of violence. Were the disciples of Smyrna the ultimate target of Satan's pressure? No, actually. The real target is and has been Jesus. Okay? But this totally defeated enemy who has no power over the authority of Jesus, who can't hurt Jesus in any way, goes after that which is dearest to Jesus. His church. You and me. And what Jesus is opening the eyes of believers in Smyrna, uh, something that John will expand upon later in the book of Revelation, the idea is of a cosmic battle going on. 
It's actually described as a battle between a dragon and a lamb. And the dragon tries to destroy the lamb but fails. And so in, in the death throes, the dragon lashes out at the disciples of the lamb, you and me. And it's hard not to take it personally, but Satan's ultimate object is to hurt Christ, to hurt Christ's mission. It is only our relationship to Christ that gives us any significance in the eyes of our enemy. I know your pressure. I'm not going to change the circumstances, Jesus says. Instead, I'm going to prepare my church to persevere. Jesus gives, gives two commands. He says, do not be afraid. Oh man, we need to hear that these days. And be faithful. Um, in the gospel of Luke, you know, Jesus says in the last days, are we in the last days? I don't know. But he says in the last days, men's hearts will fail them because of fear. You know, fear and anxiety will literally cause health issues. We know that's true. Science backs that up. Church, do not be afraid. Faith overcomes fear. We don't have to fight these battles afraid. How? How do we keep faith under pressure? How do we grow a faith that overcomes fear? Jesus gives us four helps, four encouragements, real quick. And I don't know if this is even a consolation to you. It is to me. The pressure only comes because we are getting closer to Jesus, who's the real target, okay? The Christians in Smyrna were in trouble precisely because they were faithful. So don't panic, okay? You know, it's the, it's the live fish that swims against the current after all, and it's the dead fish that comfortably floats along with the current, okay? The second encouragement is this word test. Again, this may not sound like a consolation that you're looking for. It says in verse 10, the devil will throw some of you in prison that you may be tested, sifted. The word Jesus uses, um, when I looked it up, it means to prove or improve. Satan was doing his best to tempt the disciples of Jesus to lose their faith, but Jesus flips it and reverses it and, and uses that same temptation to prove and improve our faith. I love that, which means that the Lord of the church seems to think periodic pressure on the church every now and then is actually a good thing. Philipsis helps refine the church. It, it has a way of stripping away the non-essentials, the baggage, the, the sacred cows, the cultural compromise. It has a way of bringing us to a bottom line simplicity of Jesus, our hope of glory. And, and if we would just remember to persevere, to not give up, to, to be ready for the pressure, to stay faithful, which leads to the third help, the third encouragement that Jesus gives. He has final authority 
over the pressure. He says, he says to the church, you will have tribulation for 10 days. Um, is that a literal 10 days or just, you know, a relatively short amount of time? We don't know really, you know, in Revelation numbers mean something, right? Uh, in those days, the number 10 stood for human completion, okay? Five fingers on each hand makes 10. Five toes on each foot makes 10. 10 days of flipsis means a complete trial. But here's what's very clear in all of this. In the midst of it, Jesus is in control. Yeah, the, the political and religious forces have free will. The, the spiritual forces of darkness have free will, but they only exist by permission of God and, and, and their power is limited by God. You could say that evil is on a leash, okay? Its pressure has a limit. Its days are numbered. 10 days, says the Lord. So maybe knowing that can help us just keep going. Uh, the one who loves us will never allow more than we can bear. Our endurance may be tested to the limit, but there is a limit to the test, okay? Finally, uh, Jesus makes promises. He gives us the encouragement of the promise to those who endure, he will give them the crown of life. The, the word he uses specifically means a victor's crown. Uh, it's a crown that cannot rust, cannot fade, a crown that is life itself. And Jesus promises that those who overcome will not be hurt by the second death. Okay? It, it, it won't be the last time John refers to this in Revelation. The second death. The first death, folks, we're all going to experience. Okay? Every one of us. If that is news to you, I am so sorry to be the one to break that to you. Death and taxes, you've heard this before. The second death, that's the final death. That's the, that's the eternal expulsion from the presence of God. Jesus doesn't give us immunity from the first death. But praise God, he promises immunity from the second death. This crown of life. And there's I, I'm learning there are things way worse for a Christian than death, than the first death. I, I know it feels like the ultimate loss, but those who remain faithful to Jesus won't face the second death. They enter into eternal life. And why would we ever want to acquiesce to the ways of the world? This, this short existence relatively speaking. Jesus promises the crown of life. Those who are born again in Jesus, who come to life in Jesus, do not experience the second death. And, and let me just end with this little tidbit. Um, did the disciples of Smyrna overcome fear and keep the faith? Yes. Yes. How do we know this? Because of all the seven churches that Jesus addressed in his seven letters, only the church of Smyrna still exists today. Izmir in Turkey is a vibrant center of Eastern Orthodox worship. They feel the pressure too. 
but they're still kicking. Now, seldom in the last 2,000 years has the pressure lifted from the disciples in that area. And seldom has the vitality of that church ever waned. Uh, Imagine reading this letter in the modern church of Smyrna today in 2022. Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't be afraid. I am with you. You know, in some ways, we can't relate to that kind of pressure in Canada. Will we always be free to worship like this? My guess is no. Will, will the churches of our generation be faithful when the pressure gets turned up? Will knack stand the test when the test gets tougher? Maybe the only measure we have of how we're doing is through those lesser tests that come our way now. They're, they're, they're building something in us. They're improving something in us. I'm going to close with this as the band comes. I, I think it's only fair of me to conclude by telling you that there is a way out of the pressure entirely. There's a way not to experience flipsis at all. You ready? Just don't get serious about loving Jesus. Just go with the flow of culture. Just kind of settle for a, a sort of Christian in name only, watered down discipleship. Christianity light. All the great tastes, zero calories. And there'll be no pressure. And there'll be no passion. Let me pray. I know your pressure, says the one who loves us beyond what we can even hope or imagine. Lord, even if you choose not to remove the pressure, I know you'll sustain us in it. I'm so grateful for that, Lord. Would you even somehow use it for our good? for your glory would we even rejoice in the pressure because it means that you are close your presence is is the reason the pressure comes remind us of that so that we just have a little fuel in our tanks to keep going not just keep going but keep going with joy and with a peace that passes all understanding. You're with us in the storm. You cause the darkness to tremble. Just even this name that is higher than every other name, Jesus, we speak your name into the darkness now. Jesus, Jesus, will you stand with me as we sing?